to you a wizard battle yeah a battle between magical beings okay. and i want you to tell me where you think the origin is okay let's hear it. Yeah. right okay so there's this this guy he's walking the streets and he meets a magician uh magician's name is simon the mm-hmm. aforementioned guy is uh peter uh so the simon is a magician he's doing street magic and peter's like i'm gonna show this fucker what for yeah so he like gives this dog like the ability to speak mm-hmm. and the dog goes up to the uh, the magician the simon and talks him shit and then drops dead okay wow. but the uh, simon's not impressed by this so peter decides to up his game and he like goes to a market grabs just like a fish like a sardine and then revives it brings this fish back to life depriving somebody of their dinner <laughs> so uh, the the Simon character is like, all right, you think you're a hot shit, and he starts to fly around the city. Wow. Um, and obviously Peter can't fly, so Peter's very upset by this. Like he's being shown up. Like he initiated the challenge, and now it's blowing up in his face. So so Peter talks to. Don't hey man, don't let your mouth cash a shit yeah, yeah. your ass. I'm sorry. How does that phrase go? Don't let your mouth. Write a write check. check that your ass can't cash. There yeah. You go. So so Peter Peter compels the source of his magic uh, to to knock the Simon guy out of the sky and break his leg in three places, mm. specifically three places. Yeah. So that happens. Simon falls to the ground uh, and he's stoned to death and dies. Um, where could that be from? That that sounds like uh, Perhaps a, a recollection of some kind of X Men battle or an anime of some kind, maybe. Yes, Peter. Peter is a Colossus uh, in a subplot wherein he becomes magic, fighting Magneto or, or something. Is Magneto's name Simon. <laughs> no, it, it, I think it's Eric. But okay, yeah, this is this is a a biblical deep cut, one of the lost books. Right, one from... of the. Would you say that's one of the Gnostic texts, or that's like its own collection of uh, lost books? Is it not? I think that. Okay, maybe not lost books. Like rejected texts. Rejected texts. Maybe lost books apply specifically to like the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever. Right, yeah. But yeah, this is one of the the many stories that did not make the cut, the final cut, into the official Director's Cut Bible. Yeah, in the, uh, yes, the the widely accepted canon um, of the Bible. Yeah, no dueling wizards, as far as I know. No, no, which is insane, which is unfortunate because... Uh, that's a great battle. Uh, we, frankly, much more creative than anything in the Harry Potter books. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Those wizards—they were just zapping. There, there was no. They had like, like wands and shit. They had to go to school to like learn how to do this. I, these guys are self-taught. Way more respectable. Way more respectable. They didn't have to go to some perverted Ex- British boarding school. Peter's like kind of a bitch though, yeah. where he's like getting shown up, and then he has to be like, "Hey, God, man, can you help me out a little bit?" <laughs> just, that's like, true. I'm tagging that's you true. in for a second. That's true. That is that is some straight sucker shit. This is the Peter that was the disciple of uh, Jesus, right? I believe so. There are a lot of Peters. There are. There are. There's a lot the of Bible. Peters, a lot of Marys. But, um, yeah, I guess the reason we're talking about biblical texts that are sort of, like, rejected. And there's plenty of others to talk about, too. There's one where Jesus kills a guy. Oh, yeah. No, okay, so that is from 
the infancy gospel of Thomas. Right. So written by Thomas, where Jesus as a child straight up murders another mm-hmm. kid for like bumping into him. Pretty insane. And then the kid's parents go to Mary and Joseph and they're like, hey, you're going to do something about this? You want to like send them to the corner or mm-hmm. something? No dessert. And so uh, Jesus blinds them, strikes them blind. And does he do anything? In, in, I think <laughs> maybe, this? maybe after some chastising, he uh, he he gives them their vision back. I don't think he revives their dead their dead child. <laughs> that, that's that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, I, I, I could see why that got cut. I could see why it got cut too. But who's to say it didn't happen? You know, like all of these, all, you know, all these recollections are usually like uh, a recollection of a recollection of a recollection, that type of thing. Yeah, it's like a game of telephone. Yeah, yeah. All those stories have been shuffled about and, the, you know, the Catholic establishment usually um, cuts this out, adds this uh, here over the years. It's it's one of those things where, you know, it's really like, it's impossible to tell what the actual historical canon is. So now what we have is a bunch of interpretations. And, you know, that, that's fine. That's fine with me, right? I think it's it's cool. It's like an like an expanded universe. Kinda, yeah, 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 yeah. Like a lot of alternative, like like we got evil Jesus, right? The evil like Dennis the Menace type Jesus, like you said. Yeah, just doing little pranks. Exactly, doing doing a pretty evil pranks. <laughs> doing, he's like Stewie Griffin almost, kinda. Imagine like a like Jesus back in the day doing like what was that the Bam Majera show? Mm-hmm. You know where they like do segments for this like tortured his dad or whatever. I. Imagine Jesus being like, oh, uh, this Roman council has been, been hounding me and the gang recently. I'm going to turn all the water in his body into wine. She's <laughs> like, you've been jeezed. What would that even do to a human body if all of your blood turned to wine, man? You'd probably get really drunk for a second. <laughs> It'd be a really nice euphoric moment, and then you would you would perish. Probably <laughs> you perish. perish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, oh, man. That, that's, that's an insane thing to think about. But... Uh, you know the point. The point being is that you know because of this, and we don't really get much of his actual like in his, of his youth in the uh, canonical Bible. So who's to say what Jesus was like during that time? Who's to say uh, what he was like before he hit his stride? Where we uh, where we see him, you know, in the in the biblical texts? Because he's like thirty. Yeah. He's like he's born, and then we just jump ahead like thirty years. Yeah. Now I understand. You know that you wouldn't want some things to be true as a Christian, but I I wouldn't go I I wouldn't uh, I don't know what the headspace is to where you would I don't know uh, try to do a terrorist attack on a movie theater because uh, a certain movie does not align with your you know sort of limited understanding of uh, of Jesus as a person. That is true. Nobody really looks at Jesus as a person. They look at him as like I think they embrace more the divine side of him. Where it's just like, oh yeah, this this is a guy who went nobly to the cross and died for all of our sins and ascended to heaven, yada yada yada. Yes. They don't really look at the fact it was like, yeah, he was like divine or whatever, but he was also a human on earth, probably had human urges, felt human pain. Absolutely, yeah. And, and we- that segment of his personality is mostly disregarded, except for in the piece of media we're talking about today. Yeah, no, and there is like there and there's like there's there's proof in the text, uh, even the widely accepted text that Jesus, you know, had human sensibilities to him. He he felt pain, he felt fear, he felt sadness, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, I don't see it as too much as a stretch to extrapolate further. Which the movie that we're talking about today, which is called Andrew. The Last Temptation of Christ. Directed by, by Marty Scorsese. Scorsese. Marty, Marty, Marty. Now, the reason that this movie comes up 
because it is it is a movie that talks about a certain interpretation of Jesus Christ that ruffled a little bit of feathers and quite possibly almost uh, it almost exclusively led to the downfall of the movie not so much critically because it's well rated it's well regarded for good reason I think um, but definitely in in the box office sort of a didn't didn't a lot of people were afraid to release it uh, a lot of people didn't see it. I'm sure some people saw it with a certain picturing a certain thing just based on the media coverage of the controversy and probably winded up pretty disappointed. But because yeah, the scene in question that we'll we'll get into in the recap, it lasts like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes out of a three hour movie. Yes. And it's just kinda like put in there at the end. Yes. Yes. And does not at all warn, I don't think, like you said, a, a terrorist attack on a movie theater. Seems a little bit extra, don't you think? Who was it? It was like some integralist uh, Catholic group or something. I think so. In like France too, right? In France. Not even in America. Yeah, not even in America. Um, I guess guess there's not really a lot of like hardcore terroristic Catholic groups in America. But it's – I mean it still got like all the the usual – the usual outcries here in America from not just Catholic groups but many different Christian groups. And – I'm, you know, we're probably on the same page here. Completely unwarranted, in my opinion. Um, I would say that, uh, considering the fact that I've seen, just for the sake of research, I also watched The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie. You're familiar with this movie, right? I've heard, heard about it. this. I've yes. Heard about this. Yeah, that movie I would say probably adds just as much to the story that's not in the text as this one. But the stuff that movie adds is like, is like like weirdo insane stuff. And this is in the and this movie, it it just seems like it's an earnest sort of uh, exploration of what faith means through the through Jesus as a as a metaphor and among other things. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing to take into account watching yeah. this is that it is entirely in earnest. Yes, like it, the, it's based on a book written by a lifelong Catholic mm-hmm. Marty, of course, a lifelong Catholic. Like these are not people. Schrader, taking this like subject matter lightly. Yeah, Schrader I think is a, uh, is like atheistic, but I he was he grew up like Greek Orthodox or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and that's not re- like reflected at all. No. Uh, in the screenplay. No, so. no, no. No. Now some of his touches you it's very obvious that are they're his. Apparently he was the he was the one that came up with the visual of Jesus pulling his heart out in the that desert. That was sick. <laughs> it's so good, that man. That caught me totally off guard. Did not come it, from the book. That was good. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's really Folks, wild. Uh, boys, we're going to war. <laughs> boys, we're going, we're going to, to war. There's no better way to announce going to war than tearing your own heart out. Uh, such a good scene. And I guess the the other thing I want to say about the passion is Mel Gibson, just like Scorsese, is uh, somebody who definitely feels deeply about his beliefs and was constantly like he had like some kind of like Catholic official on set uh, with the text in hand, but. The way it's expressed, uh, his obsession is more with the the sort of Catholic uh, the Catholic aesthetic of suffering and pain and blaming Jewish people for, <laughs> for the crucifixion. Carried on into his personal. Life. Uh, yes, <laughs> indeed, you could <laughs> uh, you could you could you could definitely see the roots of uh, of, of his um, villainous personage that exists today in the passion if you looked just not even that closely frankly scorsese also a catholic um very serious about his faith uh, apparently w- when he was younger briefly considered 
joining the parish. Interesting. Yes. I don't know if that's saying too much. I've also considered that. Oh yeah, no, I never did. Uh, I I was I considered it after watching First Reformed. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this wasn't even something you pictured as a kid. This is something you pictured like a year ago. That's longer than a year. Two years ago. Longer than two years. Two and a half. No, way longer than that. When did the First the, Reformed come out? I don't know. It wasn't but that's, that long okay. Ago. So I thought about it in church, and yes. then it, it reoccurred to me mm. as a, a cynical adult because I was like, oh, they pay for like room and board and shit. Yeah, but then I true. learned you got to go to like seminary school a lot of stuff. like there's a whole college yeah i thought you could just it just be like a semester or two like learning the bible and stuff oh this is it's like a long process yeah, yeah. they really want to weed out the uh the non-committed yeah the people who thought that they could just slack and i wouldn't even have been like a, a priest like i just would have been like a a pastor uh, like a nice protestant church so i could still like fucking get married stuff. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's i think that's like the dumbest aspect uh, if I could be so bold, I was I uh, I grew up Catholic, so this this is me. This is offering constructive criticism to a, a sort of formal influence on my life. Just just let the priest get married. It's yes, it's very clearly led to a lot of bad PR, to say the least. To this, say the least. Yes, uh, this kind of arbitrary rule, and I think that's one of the things that the Protestants got right. Just let the priest get married. I think that like originated as like a weird scam grift run by the catholic church where it's like okay so uh we own your life yes in essence and when you die we inherit all of your possessions because you have no next kin or whatever yeah well yeah because the total domination uh, over society which is what the catholic church uh used to have um pretty much in a large part of europe um and still has the vatican had armies if you go back in like european history it is littered with just like tales of like okay so you got russia yeah and uh, the the classics yeah it's like okay you got russia you got the dutch the germans and then uh, you got like fifty thousand like vatican troops yes uh they have had their fingers in uh in the pies of so many wars um and i think it's only fair that we criticize them since they want to act as a country we should we have the right to criticize them as we would any country but yeah yeah um let's i let, we should get in this movie because i think there's movie. a lot of uh, fun little ideas and stuff that we can talk about i think we're both fans aren't we i really did enjoy it yes were you surprised that you enjoyed it as much as much as you did no i've always been a fan of mm-hmm. the uh the jesus of, narrative right and right. i think that this is mostly accurate some flourishes yeah, but it hits all the Jesus plot points. Like it all the, really does. The it goes through the greatest hits and uh, in some ways. Like we said, it's like earnest. It's not like mocking in a sense. Yeah, so it was just it was a, it was a good representation. Yeah, it feels compared. Oh, I'll, let me just say this, and we'll get into the movie. But compared to like some of the like biblical epics of old, which Scorsese was a fan of, you know, I, I like some of them too. Ten Commandments, Ben Hur, all that stuff. It, it's it feels so naturalistic, and it's very low budget. Which do you know how much the budget was? I don't. Seven million dollars. That's it. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, because it's so. It has to be so reined back. It kind of makes it feel more immediate. It makes it, it makes it feel more naturalistic. And you 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 get you know you're able to sort of buy into the emotions of the scenes and stuff a lot better than you are with those epics, which are uh, usually very grand and operatic uh, and uh, theatrical in in ways that don't really quite feel like human, but. You know, they're still entertaining, but they're not they're not human. This is a very human interpretation of the story, um, more so than most of the other ones, because usually in these movies, Jesus perfectly white robe. He's he's like literally glowing. People are just in awe whenever they see him. 
here's just like a guy. He's like wearing he's wearing some dirty shit. He's hanging out with poor people and he's he's preaching and it's yeah, it's really cool to see. And he's William Defoe. And he's Willem friggin' Defoe. Which is not hurt. <laughs> that does not hurt at all. He's amazing in this. And he Willem Defoe is one of the rare actors that can play both ex- both extremes of uh of humanity with such with such uh gusto. Uh he can do he can do Christ which he also did in Platoon, kind of, which is, uh, I think, the thing that Martin Scorsese saw him in and decided to look at him for this part. And, I mean, he's he's very famous for playing, like, pretty much, like, uh, evil characters as well. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. perfect embodiment. It's like something about his facial structure, I think. He looks know, like he looks like the devil. Like his yeah. face looks like the devil, especially when he's like uh, evil. Like when he's like doing an evil face, he can sell it very well. Have you have you seen him? And then was just one one more thing. Have you seen him in um? Was it that fucking David Lynch movie? Uh, the Cage? Wild at Heart. Yeah, have you yeah. Seen no, him in that? he's insane in that. That's yeah. insane. <laughs> he's insane in that. Yeah, he's yeah. He's definitely <laughs> a vibe vibe like that is the total opposite yeah him and shadow the vampire as well where he's playing uh max shrek as nosferatu yeah he can do he can do it all like he he's one of the best one of the best to ever do it one of the best to ever do it Mm -hmm. all right we jump into the film let's jump in okay so this opens with a disclaimer (laughs) very important i think that reads uh it's a fictional exploration of the eternal spiritual conflict please don't bomb us that yeah they, they point out hey you know, we draw from the scriptures. This is, this not, is not like word for word. It's like, this is a movie. <laughs> this is a movie. It, it's 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 pretty funny to see because clearly it was like a studio mandate to put something like this in there, and it, it's like so ple- it's it feels so pleading almost, and then it just didn't work. Like people still got so pissed off. Uh, any any resemblance to to people or places uh, uh, is entirely incidental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we open as we should. With Jesus, and and he's in he he's in the throes of yes. of some it seems terrible dream or something. He's not doing his best, and we find out this is because he's hearing the call of God, mm-hmm. right? It's it's time for him to abandon, right, his human life and and fully embrace his fate as the son of God. And he's not having any of this no. at all. He's like building crosses for the Romans to crucify his fellow Jews on. Oh yes. Um, He's rejecting uh, God, and he is rebelling in a fairly extreme way, yes. Because he's not only building the crosses, he's, like, helping out with the crucifixions. Yeah, he's, like, tying people to the crucifix for them. Yeah, so this is, um, he's got some daddy issues, maybe the best way to summarize this. And so uh, we're introduced to Judas, portrayed by Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. Yeah, I'm Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. He's a fucking redhead, blaming him. Yes, yes. Um, I would say that his did pr- not dial in his accent at all. No, not at all. And like that's partially on purpose. It does like the Ben Hur thing, where uh, the the Jews um, are speaking in an American in American accents, mostly like Brooklyn tinge in this case, and the Romans are British. Uh, which I suppose is supposed to illustrate the sort of class distinction between the two. But yeah, yeah, Kaitel specifically, I don't think he's bad in this. I think he's pretty good, but he his presence is sort of uh, keyed in on a certain like era that in such in such a way that's even more than like Willem Dafoe or anyone else. 
uh, especially with like his red hair and all that stuff. It is a little distracting sometimes. The performance is still solid, like yeah. in spite of these sort of like surface level things. No, 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 no. Like this, like that's good. the worst thing that you can say is that uh, his presence is sort of feels out of time compared to everyone else's. But he's still really good. Um, he's able to sell like what he's supposed to sell. Uh, the most important, and thing. he's supposed to sell Judas mm-hmm. one as Jesus's best friend and confidant. Yes, but two, he's also a fucking assassin. Like uh, very early on, he's like bludgeoning like Roman soldiers with mm-hmm. bricks. Yep, like breaking necks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all very impressive. He's working with uh, with uh, I guess the the zealots, right? And he's like essentially a violent revolutionary against the Roman occupation. So yeah, pretty interesting. Very good take on the Judas character. Yeah, I yeah, think. definitely uh, different. I mean, the whole, like, every aspect of the Judas character in this is different from what you're used to. Um, like, pretty much, it's it's pretty much like a, a, a 180 degree turn. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I was reading, uh, doing some research, actually, and the group, there was actually back then a group of Jewish assassins. I forget their name, but it's it's where we divide, or, I'm sorry, derive the word Sicario from. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Judas is a is a biblical Sicario. Yeah, I I think I think the name of these folks were I think they were the Zealots. Um, I believe they're described in some circles as the world's the world's first terrorist group. But I'm sure that's that uh, that description probably is very biased um, in some fashion. Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. So the first couple of scenes, we just sort of see Jesus trying to reconcile uh, with his calling interfering with his everyday life and sort of getting in these debates with judas he's a little angsty he's yeah a little self-destructive uh, about like his collaborations with the romans which uh i think he, he explicitly says yeah i i hate god i'm doing this to like i'm doing this to make me just to spite him to specifically stop to get him to stop to get him to stop bothering me about doing this thing that i'm too afraid to do finally caves in and, and mm-hmm. this is before that though he visits Mary, Mary Magdalene in her brothel. Yes, you you get to see they're not. No, they are running train. Uh, a group, pretty of, much. Yeah, like uh, it's it's weirdly sexy in an otherwise <laughs> sexless <laughs> movie, I guess. Well, I think it's just that um, um, Barbara Hershey as Mary Magdalene is um, uh, Mary. Sorry, Mary Magdalene is uh, is pretty hot, and sexy. She's got but, like face tats and shit. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, and this is something I've noticed, is that every every different piece of biblical interpretation. No matter how extremely different they are, they all agree on one thing: that Mary Magdalene is a freaking dime. I think that has to be because yeah. you have to have somebody who's like kind of tempting Jesus, who he has to resist. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Someone, some, someone that like sort of demonstrates his, uh, yeah, exactly, his yes. resilience uh, and his strength. Like, in like the someone's face there. Of temptation. Like I don't know, Peter's there, and he's like, "Hey, Jesus, you, uh, you get with Mary yet?" And Jesus is just like, "You know what? Men and women can be just friends." <laughs> <laughs> right, you know that, right? Yeah, exactly. What, exactly. what is his, his patriarchal viewpoint of exactly, relationships? Exactly, right. <laughs> accosting his his juvenile disciples for their for their for their jabs. But you know who plays her in the Passion, by the way? And I didn't even know this until I started watching. Monica Bellucci. Yes. Talk <laughs> so, about a fucking dime. Which just which just is, goes further in in my interpretation here of what uh, the canon of Mary Magdalene is. Uh, she was did smoking. You, did, yeah, exactly. Smoking hot dime. Um, did you did you ever? S- well, no, no, I don't think anyone saw this movie. That one with uh, Rooney Mara playing Mary Magdalene. Oh, with Joaquin Phoenix. With Joaquin Phoenix. No, I haven't found it anywhere. Yeah, I no. do. I do want to watch it because I saw totally that really exist. good behind-the-scenes photo Them of smoking, like, right? yeah, just like smoke, yeah. like Joaquin's on the cross, and yeah, good aesthetic, I guess. Good power for sure. Hollywood yeah. power couple. 
I, I believe uh, none of the actors were allowed to smoke um, on the set of Last Temptation in order to avoid those kinds of pictures, I guess, mm. in Scorsese's mind. But I, um, I, I think Willem Dafoe told stories of him sneaking a few cigarettes in his, in his hut that he was staying in. Respect. Respect. So he goes to see Mary to sort of sever his last like remaining relationship, I guess. Like it's implied that they go way back and they have sort of these they have a history. bonds. Yeah, she, right. I guess uh, he sort of broke her heart in some yeah. sort of unex, uh, unelaborate on fashion. Yeah, so she's like lambasting him for uh, resisting her feminine guiles, and he leaves for the desert. Yes, he does. I do want to just say that I, there's a lot. There's so many good details that just even with the this, the low ass budget, um, it just makes the this like sort of world feel lived in like i like the i don't even know how accurate some of these details are some of them clearly are very anthropologically accurate but then there's others where there's just like in this brothel there's just like an like a lizard like an iguana or something yeah they're like two iguanas like hanging just out hanging out oh. like right by the bed where she's getting railed it's, yeah it's great it's great i i don't understand it but i love it well you gotta when you have that small of a budget you gotta make do exactly what you have you gotta be i'm sure in the desert there are like lizards aplenty sure so. sure they'll just throw a lizard they yeah they do uh they do have a lot of uh just animals when whenever there's supposed to be like a supernatural effect a lot of times it's either it's just an animal of some kind you know as as the presence of some supernatural force yeah but uh, also, just apple trees and also birds apple of trees. fire. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Mad respect for that, man. There's not like any like shoddy CGI attempts. No, to be like, no. oh, this is the devil. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's so red. It's yeah. It's, it's so restrained. It's so restrained, and uh, it it really it's very effective for that reason. The only thing that isn't restrained is the music in this fucking thing. The yeah, it's like the traditional like Middle Eastern music, but with like the bang and drums. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a like Ishtar. It's what's his name? But less eighties. It's what's his name doing the Danny Elfman. No, no, no. It's Johnny Greenwood. No, Jesus, no. It's he's he's from a band. I forget. The, Johnny the Greenwood and Danny Elfman in. are in bands. The Genesis. Yes. But the other Peter guy, Gabriel? yeah, it was Peter Gabriel. Really? Yes, he cool. appointed uh, many like local like Egyptian Moroccan musicians and stuff. You, I mean, you could feel his touch in some of the songs, uh, such as the one that ends the movie and um, the one that takes place during the palm scene as well. Th- those are very Peter Gabriel tracks. Yeah, it's very modern sounding. Yeah, for sure, modern for the time. Yeah, yeah, but even like even the soundscape uh, minus the heavy P- uh, Peter Gabriel influence, it's all it's always pretty good, pretty effective at building a mood. It's all it's all, it, but yeah, it's always bumping though. So Jesus finds a monastery in the midst of the desert. A lot of this movie is just Jesus talking and trying to work things out for yeah. himself. You know, trying to find answers, doing some philosophizing, and that's no different. In this scene where he's sort of debating the merits of being able to speak to God with a member of the monastery mm-hmm. who thinks that this is like some great blessing. You know, he says, uh, every, every day I just have to guess what God wants right. me to do. And you have like a direct line to yeah. him. It just shows that grass is always greener on the other side. I wouldn't want to be micromanaged by God. I'm no. kind of happy with his sort of very lax parenting style. <laughs> should he be out there? You know what I mean? I don't want like a helicopter parent. That's true. That's true. No. Nope. It's, I mean, I'm not gonna say that nobody wants that. Some some people seek, uh, guidance from lo- parental figures. But yeah, yeah, uh, lax is good for me. I too. mean, sometimes it would be nice when like, you know, the gang's together and we don't know where to go for dinner. Right. If we could just be like, hey God, what what do we want right now? Well, what are we craving? See, that's the what's the, in our hearts. 
that's the give and take here. You know, you can't get uh, God's input when it comes to small decision making because of um, the lack of relationship for any other and every other aspect. <laughs> God, there's got to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. On. I guess not. Meet me in the middle. Is this in this scene like he's visited by like a snake, like a black yeah. snake, a real snake apparently? Yeah, that like represents. I don't know him transcending something or another. It's it, it is supposed to represent a yeah a sort of spiritual transformation of sorts. Yeah, and Judas shows up here uh, because he's supposed to kill him. He's been told by his uh, organization of assassins to kill Jesus. Yes, and Jesus is all for it. He's like, all right, I've reached my peak. Uh, I'm I've made peace with God. I'm all good. Yeah. Just just kill me. Yeah, uh, and instead there's some sort of switcheroo where Jesus is instead going to launch his grand speaking tour and go about, you know, doing his, his preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Judas decides to accompany him with the little note that if he strays at any point, he'll, he'll strike him dead. Exactly. Which, you know, that's a good way to keep someone in line. That's the only way. Yeah. I think. I, I think, I honestly, I think, I think Judas and Jesus are a good manager and a band uh, relationship. They can't let him slack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. you're you're both on the line both your paychecks on the line it's ironic that judas is a carrot top in here because he's motivating with the stick (laughs) it's a good one thank you jesus and and judas i think do have and this will come up later do have very different motivations for this Mm -hmm. jesus is doing this you know for spiritual reasons and i think judas is trying to use it to sort of fuel his rebellion against the romans and that's another reoccurring thing in this movie that's very interesting is uh, love versus the acts is how it manifests. This dichotomy, yeah, where Jesus in some ways in this movie, rep, uh, like he's a fully realized character, um, and he kind of resembles both. Uh, he, he fluctuates. Yeah, he fluctuates. He goes from love, and he goes to the acts. He's, uh, he's afraid at the beginning. Um, he's quite confident by the end, but then he even falters at the end. Uh, before ultimately succeeding. No, that's that's where the interesting bits come from. Because all that's in the Bible too. Like there are inconsistencies there, uh, as many have pointed out, as I'm sure uh, many YouTubers that we both watched uh, <laughs> a decade ago have pointed out. Uh, but those are leaned in on all of those inconsistencies as as being just part of um, the inconsistency of being a human being. Okay, so they return to Jesus's hometown. I don't know if they're in Nazareth at this point. Do they say where they are? Uh, which part is this? I'm trying to remember. We're, it's where they begin. Oh yeah, I think it is. It's well, Nazareth. no, 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 no. It's not Nazareth because uh, I remember one they of the villagers later. saying, uh, "Oh, no good can come from the Nazarethans." Mm. Um, you know. Well, they return to so Jesus. One of the neighboring towns. Yeah, I guess. adopted hometown. Uh, I guess where it'd be, would it be Bethlehem then? Maybe. Yeah. Where he uh, he saves Mary Magdalene from getting stoned to death for working right. on the Sabbath, and here he busts out. The, the vintage Jesus line, and many more words than this, but it's the uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone bit. Yes, but it's uh, it's sort of, it, well, it kind of reminds me of how in The Amazing Spider-Man, they don't want him to say the exact line again, so he just kind of works around it. He says, you have a, a responsibility to maintain, and in order to have the power, the blood, you know, it's one of those types of things. A lot better, though, because it kind of uh, keys into the way people talk in this movie, how they don't talk in such a poetic fashion as, uh, you know, the classic line. But he still, he still, you know, he still um, pretty much pushes the message in in a, in a way that that feels more like a believable working class uh, person would talk like. 
Yeah, this this one's kind of kind of amusing because everyone backs down except for this one fucker named like Zebedee, <laughs> yes. and uh, he's like, "Oh, I got nothing to hide." And Jesus is like, oh, "Are you sure about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, God God can see that you underpay your workers. Yeah. And you're having an affair with a widow." <laughs> and then he like finally backs down. A lot of balls. A lot of balls. There are there are some like ballsy Jesus moments here, yeah, or sir. just like cool. Just like bro just cool, Jesus, cool guy, yeah, cool guy Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, he's like, like I said, he's like, he's definitely. Um, you're experiencing the full, uh, the full human sort of spectrum there. Yeah, he's not like a stoic at all. No, no, not at all. Yeah, there's some nuance to this guy for sure. For yeah. sure. Immediately after this, Jesus gives his first sermon, and he bombs. Right, mm-hmm. tough crowd. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's doing the sermon on the mount, but the twist is. Is that uh, he accidentally um, inspires a bunch of people to uh, to kill to to kill some rich people? Yeah, that's exactly it. Or he's like he's doing his preaching about love, but then they're like, "Oh, love's not gonna put put bread in my stomach." Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. So at the end of it, yeah, he just incites like a, a class war, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like run yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it shows it shows that he's sort of just he's sort of just beginning in in his quest and his uh, in his preaching. So you know, you're not always going to bat a thousand. Your first time on stage, so what are you gonna do? You had him there for a second, and then uh, they all went to, to kill a bunch of rich people. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I, I wish mean, worse, worse, there's worse things that can happen. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say like, uh, what I would it give to be able to incite a class war with just my words? Yes. Uh, oh, now no. Jesus takes off with Judas and his first disciple. I don't. Which one was it? Do you remember? I think it was uh, Peter. Okay. Possibly. We'll say Peter. We'll say Peter. I mean, he's the one that usually pops up the most in the text. Uh, no one. They don't really get a whole lot of play in this, besides Judas, though. They're kind of all uh, depicted as kind of being like well-meaning, but like sort of almost simpletons, you could say. Kind of wishy-washy, right? A little wishy-washy to the cause, yeah. Yeah, and that is there's a there's part there's part of that in the Bible too. Uh, like you know when they all sleep uh, in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. 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 Yeah. Thank you. But you know, yeah, the, the, you don't get much else from the disciples though. Uh, and this this is kind of unintentionally funny or like they show him recruiting the disciples well there's one scene that shows him recruiting disciples actively and he's just sitting with the two others like staring at some people like fishing and they're like hey look what's going on on over there and that's it so yeah it's kind of like you know it's really chill like it's like those scenes in movies like at the club where you got like just some guy like staring at a girl across the bar yeah except it's like jesus staring at these fishermen and they're like oh he's fishing those men what is he selling yeah yeah uh, and I was thinking here because the next shot is him walking like with this m- massive group of followers. I was thinking of like, oh man, you know how fun like a Jesus RPG would be. <laughs> that would be fun, like, like a Dragon Age thing where you got like this uh, morality system and you recruit characters along the way. And you can uh, switch them out. I agree. Honestly, the Bible has a lot of good ground for video games. Needs to be delved into more. I don't think anyone's been bold enough to really do it. I know, but honestly, I think if uh, if modern religions, which by the way are losing followers by the day, um, if they really wanted to connect with the youth, what other fucking way is there besides making a badass video game based on uh, scripture? Yeah, you could do you could do like a morality system where you're like Jesus, and you know maybe maybe you lean toward dark side, and you're trying to convert someone. And, you know, there's like an option where it's like, uh, uh, follow me or I shall explode thine heart within thine chest. Or, you know, you got the positive option, which is just like, oh, follow me. There will be many banquets in heaven, yada, 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 yada. You know? True. You could choose, uh, yeah, you could choose which side you want to play. Jesus the Redeemer or um, 
the you know the the one like the really angry Jesus that you see like in those in like in ancient Rome in all the paintings. Yeah. So we we hit another debate after this, uh, which sort of goes back to the love versus the axe discussion, mm-hmm. where Jesus and Judas were sort of discussing what should come first, right? Do you in Jesus's mind you need to alter people's hearts, right? Right. You need to make them embrace love and positivity, and that will result in a change in their sort of material conditions. Whereas Judas makes the argument that you need to change the conditions first, right? And that will in turn make them like better, more positive people. Yeah. Uh, and this is a discussion that goes on to this day exactly. in political circles. I think it is. Uh, Judas is adopting a Marxist material analysis, Correct. and Jesus is being a shitlib. <laughs> so, or yeah, you could also say that he's being like a a countercultural uh, sort of free your mind. Uh, this is like hippie Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. like hippie Jesus, sort of. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's it, it is interesting to see that that debate happen in that context. Uh, and and like you said, uh, we're still hearing it to this day. The movie, I don't think, really takes one side over the other i think it really just sort of depicts this as part of the larger metaphor of people sort of working through their faith and uh working through their you know material ideology um and how it you know kind of how could how it could clash with your faith that kind of thing i think it's just sort of being explored without really uh leaning in one way or the other in my opinion i agree there's no scorsese doesn't present like a right answer Right here, it's it's all left up into yeah. It's not an explicitly it's not an explicitly leftist interpretation of Jesus. No, no, that's just how I interpret it. Yeah, which no, I I understand yeah. it's definitely there. Yeah, uh, but it it's not explicitly leftist in the same way that the Gospel according to Saint uh, Matthew by uh, Pasolini is, which which by the way just in dialogue uses just the text from Scripture. That's pretty um, sick. And for that reason. Um, is widely regarded as being the most fucking uh, um, faithful, faithful, mm-hmm. faithful um, interpretation uh, of the text by the Catholic Church. Yeah, you can't get mad at that. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> which is so extremely funny because this uh, this guy, this Catholic guy, uh, makes one version of Jesus completely rejected, but a gay Marxist makes his own version, and it's uh, it it's all well and good. <laughs> It's just, it's just one of those funny works. things. Yeah. Yes. So they go to see John the Baptist. Jesus decides he needs to be baptized. Yeah. And oh, I love this scene by the way. Yeah. Also. It's like a it's like a rave. It's like There's a like rave this combined. banging music playing. Yeah. It's people like a... gyrating everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's like a rave combined with like a like a Pentecostal sort of sermon. Like the high energy. Exactly. Stomping and clapping. It, and it's like the fire like and brimstone stuff. Yeah. People are like naked, head, head like completely naked, head banging, just com- complete religious ecstasy. Uh, it's it's really cool. It reminded me almost of like a. It almost it almost seems like a milder version of like a, a Jordowski uh, scene. Honestly, I could yeah. see that. Yeah. It's like the nudity. The nudity was like sh- shocking. I think. Yes, yes, very, uh, very like to the point nudity. People just sort of writhing and sort of like uh, not like stylized or glamorous at all no, either. No, just born by a river. That's true. Yeah, They're yeah. Like bridge people listen to to a guy talk about all sorts of all or sorts all sorts of shit, and uh, yeah, Jesus um, ends up talking to John the Baptist, who I believe is his cousin in the in the Bible, but they don't seem to recognize each other in this version. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like baptized rather unceremoniously. Yeah. Like I think there's Baptist like dunks him under really quick or like yeah. just splashes water at him. It's yeah. Like, All right, there you go, buddy. <laughs> I guess next, it's... next, please. <laughs> I 
I guess it's probably pretty similar. But he also, uh, he, um, like, I don't know if you noticed the, the scene where he, like, all the sound is sort of taken out of the area. All, like, the dancing and, like, the, the drums and stuff are completely silenced. I think I caught that. I don't remember the context. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it was, uh, I think the context was, it was simply Jesus sort of proving his divinity to John the Baptist. Okay, yeah, because there was, like, a debate there where, yeah. like, the Baptist thought he was just, like, another... Yeah. Poser. No, this is only yeah. something I, I um I noticed this time around. But yeah, no, that was him sort of uh like sealing the deal essentially, like ending the debate because he wasn't sure at first. And there's like another sort of political debate that follows this, where like uh, John the Baptist is adapting like this anarchist ideology mm-hmm. of we just need to burn down the entirety right. of the system. Yes. Uh, and start from scratch. Yeah. And then he cites like Sodom and Gomorrah as like a uh, proof of like God's violent will mm-hmm. and how he probably wouldn't like frown on us if we did this again. You know, you a know fairly I mean? a fairly compelling argument, I would say, considering that was uh, the, the Torah was the only um, source of God's like uh, texts at that point. Yeah, and then he offers him an axe, the metaphorical axe with which mm-hmm. to carry out this uh, burning of the system. Or hacking at. Does he offer them the axe of this scene, or does he offer them the axe in the vision later, like when he's in the desert? Both, I think. Oh. I think in this case, it's the metaphorical axe. It's not the physical axe. Gotcha. All right. Like, oh, you know. All right, and we're on to the next classic Jesus moment, where he ventures out into the desert alone for 30 days and 30 nights. Over the course of his sojourn, uh, he's visited by three manifestations mm-hmm. of Satan. Yes. It's, it's like a very disturbing christmas carol indeed type thing except instead of learning positive lessons uh like satan is trying to throw him off his path and doom Mm -hmm. humanity he pops up first in like the form of a black snake who tries to tempt him uh to leave his path in favor of love yes jesus rejects us and the snake is speaking in uh the tongue of mary magdalene sort of a a a uh a preview of what's to come uh so 10 days later he's visited by a lion (laughs) who uh aslan this is the same lion actor who played uh aslan oh, oh, in what, the, a, what a wonderful talented actor uh, yeah and the chronicles of narnia films later on Liam and he tempts him with like the lure of power which is like hey man you're, you're kind of part god you could yeah. kind of just snap your all of this is yours and it's like you said like uh the depiction of these animals is very bare bones it's literally just footage of an animal and then like just talking overlaid on top of it but it's uh it's it's done very effectively um just through the combination of sight and sound. Oh, no, I got that wrong. So the lion tempts him with just, like, power over man. Yes. So he sort of convinced all these people to follow him, and, you know, Satan says you should use this for your own benefit. Right. Yeah. And then he appears again as just, like, just some fire, like just some disembodied, like, flames floating around. Yes, just float. And that's when he's like, yeah, you're, you're like, part God. The world is yours, buddy. And yes. Jesus snaps them all away. Mm-hmm. So... The Baptist that appears, and I don't know, was this literally the Baptist following him through the desert, or is this just another vision? I think it's just another vision, because he's told that the Baptist is dead. Uh, like when, when he gets back. Yeah, when he gets, yeah. when he when he meets his uh, new friends, uh, Mary and the the other Mary, the third Mary, and the other one. Martha. Mar- Mary Martha, oh, yes. Man, we skipped over the part, uh, his mother tries to talk to him. No, 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 this is like, later. Oh, that is later? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so he leaves the desert. Like we said, uh, and is nursed back to health by uh, Mary and Martha. This is where he finds out, yeah, the Baptist was murdered. Yeah, that the that the king that the king got his head on a platter. Oh yeah, so this is this is where that that Salome 
Oscar Wilde's Salome comes from. Really? Yeah, King King Herod. Mm-hmm. Merck's John the Baptist to appease his. Uh, was that a his wait? I'm sorry. Was that a? Was that a? Was that a poem or was that? Uh, a, it's a play. It's a play. Oh, it's okay. Plays. No, I never. I never saw that one. I never read it either. Oh, it's pretty good. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so these characters will like pop up again later. This is not just like a one-off for them. Yeah. So he's gone for a while, and we sort of cut to the disciples alone, waiting for Jesus to return. It's been a month, and they're getting restless, man. They miss their sheep. They don't know what's going on with their herds. Yeah. They're debating whether they should go back. Uh, Judas cracks the whip. That's true. And call them like worthless or something. <laughs> Calls them cowards, that kind of thing. Cowards, yeah. It really whips them into shape. Yeah, and at that moment, Jesus returns. And this is the amazing scene where, he, yeah, he just, like, pulls out his own heart. Yes. Like, you think he's, like, he's like kind of reaching into, like, his robe, and you think maybe he's going to pull something out. Yeah. Uh, I guess he does, but it's, like, out of Sorry. his chest. Uh, yeah, and he's like, yeah, so uh, we're, we're declaring war on the devil. Which is an amazing scene, and uh, it... <laughs> It shows, it introduces the idea of miracles into this movie's universe in a very uh, b- b- very impactful way. And we're all sort of in the place of the disciples um, seeing this, uh, what could be interpreted as this like psychedelic vision. Uh, this, this desert mirage of a man tearing out his own heart. And then we're on, we're on board. We're like, yeah, anything's possible now. And indeed, everything anything is possible. Yeah, we get the we get a miracle montage. We do it's get like a the, miracle the Rocky montage. training montage again. Jesus' greatest hits. He's doing exorcisms. Yes, he's, he's healing the blind. He's healing the lep uh, the lepers. Yeah, the lepers. Uh, we get the water into wine scene. Yeah, which that's kind of kind of funny. Such a fun scene. Yeah, where he's at the <laughs> wedding, and then he's like being accosted for bringing in uh, like his disciples and Mary Magdalene into the wedding. Like, oh shit, we ran out of wine. I got enough wine for all these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is like, there's more wine over there. And the guy's like, no, that's water. I brought it in myself. And Jesus is like, he's pulling pranks. No, buddy. It's wine. Go try it. So he does. And then he looks over at Jesus. And Jesus is like, raises. He's like, cheesing. Big old Defoe grin. Like, raising. It's a gif that I have used on on multiple occasions. You have? Yes. Not to you. Not to you. Not to me. I'll send it to you immediately. Oh, good. Um,. But yeah, no, I love this scene. Uh, it, this is the this is the mon- this is the scene where he also um, uh, the guy tries to stop him from bringing Mary Magdalene in. He says, "Oh, it's against the law," and then he tells him that the law is against his heart, and he says it with such authority. And uh, yeah, this is the part where sort of introduces Jesus, uh, you know, sort of uh, hitting his own stride um, and being like a revolutionary figure in the society. Right. Yeah, because he brings up, it's like, oh, uh, you know, uh, heaven is kind of a wedding. And yeah. uh, God saying? is the groom, and we're all the bride. Yes, yes, yes. You're going you're gonna to say, you, I can't get into that wedding? Yeah, yeah, and everyone's invited. Great wedding in the sky? <laughs> everyone's invited. Yeah. yeah, it's... RSVP now. We need to know how many plates we got to tell the caterer to get. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, this sort of also is another thing that uh, makes it stand apart from, again, the, the fucking passion, which is this... This dour, this this completely dour melodramatic fucking tone the whole way through, and it, this this movie has moments where it's like serious and and sad, and, but also other moments where it's like soulful, other moments where it's joyful. You know, like it's not just just constant constant fucking suffering. Wait, the it's just constant wailing women and bleeding wounds, and that's it. Yeah, that's bleak. That is very Catholic. Yes, You're it right. is, but in Not a completely different way. It's 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 amazing, really. Um, and don't worry, a sequel apparently is coming soon. Okay, so. okay. So, Passion of the Christ yeah. is like traditional European 
Catholicism, right? Very dour, morbid, based on suffering. This is South American, like South American version. I could see that. Right. Yeah. Where there is like joy. People people are, are glad that they've been saved and they love God and they don't feel like uh <laughs> being being saved from, from sin is a, a great burden placed upon them, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay, so yeah, this this is when he returns to Nazareth. Uh his homecoming goes very poorly. And then as he's leaving, this is when he rejects Mary. Was yeah, just yeah, his father. Yeah, he just brushes her off. Very tough. I think is like this is another example of him sort of like severing his earthly connections and moving more fully toward that. The yeah, yeah, being. he's he's on a mission. Like he's on a mission quest, and earthly connections are just going to keep him from uh, completing what um, he at that point thinks God wants him to do. If I might digress for a second to another good biblical story. Sure. Uh, so. Always. Uh, after after Mary gave birth to Jesus, he kind of like came out in like a ray of light. Did not come yeah. out through the the, the conventional cavity. Uh, and so uh, a character named Salome, not related to the one I previously mentioned, goes to do like a virginity test. And when she gets close to Mary's vagina, her hand falls off and catches on fire. So this is one of the ones that didn't make it to the this final This did not cut. make the cut. Okay. Did you know that in Islam, uh, Jesus, um, as a baby, can t- could talk? I didn't know that. And say words. Damn. Yeah. What was he saying? Uh, he was essentially saying, uh, no, uh, she really did uh, give birth to me without having sex. It, please don't stone her. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. It's not what I've been saying if I was a baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what I'd be saying as a baby. I was I was a different person back then. Yeah. So who knows what words I would have offered. Um, so after, after that misstep in Nazareth, Jesus hits his stride again. He yeah. brings Lazarus back. Yes, who is the the brother of his um, new friends, um, Mary and uh, what? Martha. Martha. Do they do they ever sort of delve into what made Lazarus worthy of this? I don't. I think I honestly think it was Jesus doing a favor to his friends. Uh, I don't. I never understood really, and I'm sure there's answers to this. Why this was the only guy who who he ever like pulled this trick out for, yeah. like a dramatic thing, like bringing somebody back, like resurrecting somebody back from the dead. Never really understood that. In the case of this movie, I think it's supposed to sort of narratively like. This that's like supposed to be the culmination. Yeah, he's of his now power. conquered death. Like he yeah. he like yes, um, like his his godly power has gotten so great by that point that like it's it's pretty much peaking at that point. Man, is if, I guess the idea. If I were Lazarus, though, I don't know, like what do you do with your life at that point where you're just like, oh, I'm dead, and I've been granted the second life. Like what is what is like the the peak thing you could have done back then to like show like thanks like receive Who, maximum fulfillment from your your second life well thankfully and not to spoil it but thankfully in the case of Lazarus in this movie he does not have to uh he he doesn't he does not have to think about this for long because he's immediately murdered he's by mur- Harry Dean Stanton and the Zealots yeah as, as Saul yeah yeah he's Saul. sort of like a member of Judas's uh, terrorist correct so. correct and this is yeah so I guess that's the sort of like you can't let Jesus's miracle stay alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because because their their sort of uh, their their sort of um, desire to overthrow Rome is in a certain way, uh, and they don't want his influence to grow. Essentially. Yeah. Um. Because he's out here preaching peace. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, I just want to say one thing about the resurrection scene. I love the addition of the professional criers. 
um, in the scene where it's like the women like wailing and sounding like friggin' dolphins or something. I don't. Did oh, you I notice that? that? No. Yeah. That yeah. No. There's head. there's like a bunch of there's like a bunch of women just sitting there and uh and like wailing like dolphins. Uh, and these are professional criers that people used to have back then. Just just because like pad out the funeral. Essentially, essentially, just to make it uh make it so uh their the, their dead loved one was uh maximally missed uh by by the society essentially uh, not that you know people didn't have friends but they wanted to they wanted to really sell it so a lot of times people would hire a professional way uh, like criers that's a cool ass job yeah like i wish i could great. get that now just like you can hire me to show up at like your 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 dead mom's funeral who had no friends uh and it's just you but you don't really want to be there alone yeah um and so you hire me and i'll come and i'll keep you company Hey man, for all I know, this could still exist. We have. I need to check the listings. I gotta look into that. Okay, so yeah, so before Lazarus is slain again, Jesus goes to the temple and has his first standoff with the merchants. Very good, very good story from the Bible for sure. One yes. of the one of the classics. Poignant again to this day. Uh, if you remember from the the uh, the shock art uh, episode we did with yes. good friend Paige, we sort of touched on like the commodification of Jesus. Yes, like. Where capitalism uh, back then was operating in in the temples on like a literal sense, but it has now subsumed the temples and uh, Christ-like imagery into itself, and that's why you get like little Jesus trinkets everywhere you go. Yes, yes, yes. So definitely, definitely speaking out against that kind of thing, the sort of crass uh, commercialization of uh, of God, essentially. Yeah, it sort of takes away, like demystifies it. I think, right? It yeah. takes away like the significance where. Yeah, now it's just like this mass-produced doodad. Absolutely, it's no in the well. Everyone in, has them in different uh, different contexts back then, but yeah, now the mask modification of uh, anything makes the figure no different from fucking Spider-Man or Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I mean back then it was just like he said it was just like something something crass, like the defiling of this holy. Yeah, space. it was like seen as like yeah. blasphemous in the, in the same way other things were seen as blasphemous, and it probably still is. But now, yeah, now there's like an extra layer to uh, the crassness of the existence of this type of. Uh, yeah, this type of uh, commodification. So after this, Lazarus is killed, and then Jesus goes back to the temple. Right. Because in his initial visit, he says, all right, you got three days, and we're coming back, and uh, we are forcefully evicting you all. Yeah, and he's straight busting shit. Like, he's knocking down people's, like, uh, fucking... Uh, how do you describe it? Like the thing, like the little stands where they're like selling their drinks. I don't know, little kiosks. Yeah, the little kiosks, I guess. But yes, he is destroying all of them, wearing like a bandana for some reason. Looking good. Yeah, looking pretty cool. Uh, but when pretty the time, dry. the time comes after those three days, Jesus comes back. He he can't pull the trigger. He he's waiting for some sign from God to execute this plan, and he yeah. doesn't get it. Yes. Uh, instead, and the next scene we find out that he has come to terms with the fact that he has to die. Mm-hmm. Right, in order to fulfill his destiny and God's plan, yeah, he's got to bite the dust. This is another really good moment for Judas, I think, because Jesus has to sort of talk him in to betraying him. Yeah, which is very different, of course, from biblical canon, wherein Judas just sells him out for like thirty coins. Yeah, he's like this. Like, he's always interpreted as like the ultimate betrayer, just like this greedy, sniveling, like uh, scumbag. Uh, he's in the Dante's Inferno, like one of the three guys being eaten by the beast. Uh, for for being a betrayer, you know, total yeah. That's and that's how he's depicted in the Passion as well. He's like, but he's also tormented by demons, and then he hangs himself in the Passion. Uh, there are demons that show up in the Passion, uh, the devil as well. Nice. Yeah. How do they look? 
the devil is like a, a bald guy with no eyebrows, um, wearing like a big hood. And at some point, he like releases a serpent that uh, that Jesus like stomps on. Oh, and, you know, and, which is the best uh, addition, honestly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, no, kind kind of cool. There, there's like a jump scare. There's like a jump scare involving like Judas hallucinating that a bunch of kids are like are like we- weird demons. It's a str- it's like a strange. This is like, it's like a deeply strange movie. Um, that is mostly unpleasant, but uh, definitely has um some uh, interesting touches to it. Cool. I, I'm gonna watch that. Some. I was actually going to. Uh, really? After I finished uh, Temptation, mm. but I was like, I, I'm not ready for that kind I of mean, commitment. I mean, yeah, no, no, it's, uh, I, I don't blame you for not wanting to. Um, so, was, uh, oh, what? Oh no, I was just gonna say, um, there's so many other interpret, uh, like I was just looking up like the big, large amount of Jesus movies, and there's like way more than I even remember. Uh, Franco Zeffirelli, the Italian director, made one. And he uh, ended up pulling out his movie out of like cons or something or Sundance or one of them because of Scorsese's uh, Last Temptation's presence in that um, festival lineup. Oh, so it would come out around around the same time? It would have, but he just he well no 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 I'm sorry it, w- it was like his new movie at that time like his movie came out like 20 years before. Uh huh. Um, and but I I th- I don't know if it was just like he was personally offended by the idea of it. Or if it was like some professional thing, uh, Zeffirelli and Scorsese, but I don't know. Um, he he pulled it out. Seems like a uh, bitch made move to me in my Absolutely in my opinion. Bitch made. I you know if you're gonna try to cancel someone, maybe you should try to cancel someone for for showing 15 year old tits in a movie, like in his version of Man, Romeo and Juliet. It's European. It's European. Okay, the sensibilities I'm... are different. The age of consent <laughs> over there is Yeah, different. yeah, yeah. Believe me, I'm aware. Uh, um. Anyway, so I've always sort of taken umbrage with uh, sort of that portrayal of Judas um, because somebody needed to do this to Jesus, right? Somebody needed to put him in this position for him to end up on the cross. It had to happen, yeah. And if you look at sort of the grand Christian theme of God has a plan for everyone, you sort of have to look at it that Judas was preordained to do this. Exactly. Right? Someone had to bite this bullet. God must have chosen him. So I don't understand where... I mean, I do understand. It's like a visceral reaction. Right. But, like, any amount of thought is going to put you in a place where it's just like, well, he did what needed to be done. Sure. And maybe maybe he didn't have the free will to make that decision. Yeah. Depending on your interpretation. Now, I don't know. Like, it's hard to say if uh, – I don't. I doubt that he was, like, the how he was depicted in this movie where he was pretty much like an – un like, he knew what was happening. Like, a self-aware but unwilling facet of this larger plan. But he's, he's just like a pawn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he, he sees the strings, but he's still doing the whole thing. I don't, I'm not sure that was the case, but it is definitely an interesting depiction. And – I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, it sort of relates to in the larger metaphor that it's trying to talk to as far as Jesus being uh, the, the the human Christian experience, like um, depicting that. But it is definitely worth exploring. And I think it's uh, definitely, elite, at the very least, different, which is sometimes nice. No, I agree. I've never seen... Uh... Yeah, I've never seen him characterized in this yeah. way before. I now, think yeah, nice is thing. it uh, is it just you know going against the grain just for the sake of it? Maybe, but you know, it's uh, it's good. Uh, so after this is the Last Supper. You get the uh, the bread and wine yep. and all that. You know shebang. how you know how it goes. The um, whole shebang. Uh, and then after this, you have the scene in the the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, you were right when you. Yeah. So. Like alone in the garden, Jesus is is sort of pleading with God, 
right the human side coming through again where he's just like listen there's got to be like some other way right. to go about this that does not end in me uh suffering horribly and dying right, yeah. yeah definitely probably probably the most human um moment that he has in scripture um and and defoe plays it pitch perfectly again like he's i cannot he's doing really well in this movie uh, jim jim i have to go to back to the passion again because this to me in my mind i'm just comparing them both jim caviezel in the passion compared to defoe he he's so like he certainly looks the part right but he's so fucking one note he's essentially just oj simpson in the naked gun because all he's there to do is just get injured multiple times like uh, immediately as soon as he's arrested because the movie actually that movie actually starts in the Jusenemy scene and then as soon as he gets arrested, he's being pummeled around. Oh, you don't even get any of the upbeat Jesus moments. It's you, just immediately like into few, the suffering. There's like, okay, there's like a few sprinkled in upbeat Jesus moments, like flashbacks. Torture porn yeah, starring yeah, Jesus. Exactly. There's one scene where it's uh, one of the happy scenes where it's implied that he invents tables. and <laughs> <laughs> Like, because, you know, he's, he's a carpenter. Yeah. yeah. He, he invents the idea of eating, uh, like, with a chair at a table. But, and then and and then and then Mary says, "Oh, that's never gonna catch on." Oh my some God. stupid shit! Like <laughs> it's so stupid. But no, mo- yeah, mostly uh, when we're in the present day in that movie, he's being knocked around. Like as soon as he gets arrested, he's being knocked around, and he's like he's like in chains, and he gets like thrown off a bridge, and is like hanged by the chains, and that's just like on the way to the fucking to the punches pilot. That that seems to me like the person who made that movie just had it out for Jesus. <laughs> like yeah, just like somebody who resents Jesus and wants to see him he's suffer. So obsessed with the shit, and, yeah. And treats him as like a crash test dummy. Yeah. You know. Or just, uh, yeah, you know, I often talk, yeah, I often talk shit about South Park, um, and you know, uh, uh, what are their names? I almost said Neville D and Taylor. Uh, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yes, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. But they called they called uh, Mel Gibson being like a weirdo psycho because uh, in that one episode that came around came out around Passion of the Christ, he's like he's like a guy who's like uh, constantly like rubbing his nipples and like uh, and like torturing himself and is like a complete masochist. Um, and that was before the the anti-Semitic incident happened in the case of Mel Gibson. So, well, even a, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes, twice a day. No, well, so I agree. once That's every right. fifteen seasons or so. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Jesus goes willingly, and then we get a moment I knew was coming. I I've been warned multiple times, and it always slipped my mind. Yeah. David Bowie is Pontius Pilate. Yeah, for like one scene. It's it's pretty pretty good first of all he's really good in it um it's his voice he has such like a command even his speaking voice is very deep and commanding and there's an authority he does he does and he's not and and again um uh like to contradict how uh these like the the roman high command is usually portrayed in these biblical um stories he's he's sort of just talking in an almost like disinterested fashion like it's just oh it's not he's not like angry because uh the, the son of man walks among and he's just he's just trying to reject him uh because he knows that he's right no he, he just sees him as like another criminal he's just like a, he's like a guy you, you know you should see see the logic stop stop what you're doing okay or else you're gonna die make a fool it's yourself. as easy as that yeah 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 so he's yeah he's like tending to uh to like his horses while he's talking to him um, but Jesus uh, turns all of his uh, requests down. And then uh, thus begins the torturing of this incarnation of Jesus. He right. gets the whips. He gets uh, the cartoonishly large crown of thorns, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like 
looks almost like barbed wire like. It, it looks does. metallic more so than it does like thorny, you know? Like, yeah, it no, I natural. agree. I agree. Uh, it's massive. <laughs> it's very big. It's very big. But I do like how it looks on Willem Dafoe's head. This uh, the sequence has a few good shots of him in the crown of thorns uh, in front of the crowd, etc. There's like when he's being marched through the streets carrying his cross uh, to like the left of him, there are two actors. Uh, like extras who are just like doing that thing with like pointing and chuckling, you know, like to <laughs> yeah. like directly behind him. Nobody else is 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 doing that. They're maybe like shouting or whatever. These guys are like ha ha ha. I I do love the did, extras. Did you catch that? Uh, yes, I I no, I didn't. But I, I I'm going to look for them next time I see this. Like, the the extras are the only ones sort of indigenous to the Middle East. Exactly. Everyone else is British or from the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Now, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, uh, Hollywood, greenlighting a movie like this at all, uh, Hollywood, uh, that's probably a stretch. But uh, making all, all the characters Middle Eastern, it absolutely never would have gotten funded. Um, but, yeah, I do like the extras. I like how they're all indigenous. It makes it, do, it does make feel at least the backgrounds more authentic and stuff compared compared to other, you know, compared, even compared to The Passion, where the, the, there's no real flavor to the extras, even though they are all speaking Aramaic which I will, again, this is like a weird like Mel Gibson thing where he's like so obsessed that he will literally resurrect this dead language and make people talk it, which is like an interesting technical choice but did not make for uh, a satisfying film experience. I'm not even sure how accurate that is. I mean, I'm sure some of them did speak Aramaic, but like Greek was also very common sure. back then. Yeah. And like so was Hebrew. Yeah, so. well, the, uh, all the the Jewish High Council in the Passion, which of course had many like multiple scenes centering explicitly on on uh, on them, uh, they spoke Hebrew, but oh, okay. everyone else I think spoke Ar- Aramaic in that movie. All right, maybe. Yeah, Greek was surprisingly common, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know, maybe not in that region, maybe, but maybe not. Well, yeah. no, from what I heard is is the Romans sort of foisted it upon the populace. They they foisted Greek. Yeah, um, interesting. Okay, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't know why not Latin. I, mean, they, I don't I know, know Latin foisted, comes along. Yeah, it's somewhere around that. It's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I don't have like a huge grasp on that. Yeah, me neither. History yet, but um, it, yeah, they do foist the Greek gods and everyone too, just with different names. So yeah, I could I could see them foisting Greek. Uh, but we digress. Yes. Uh, so we reach what you think is the big, the big finish, the climax. Jesus is crucified. You know, except to the heavens. He hits. He hits the. Uh, why have I you forsaken me? In your heart, forsaking me. In your eyes, uh, I commend the. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Surge Tankian, Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, so at this moment, though, this is where we reach the area where uh, Marty is taking his greatest artistic license. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything sort of goes quiet, and a small little blonde child, uh, claiming to be Jesus's guardian angel. Uh, approaches him and helps him down from the cross and leads him they they leave Golgotha which is the site of the crucifixion and end up in like a wooded area yeah where they come upon a wedding and Jesus is like oh whose wedding is this I, I love weddings is there any water around I can drinks I can all around trans- yes. yeah and it's like oh it's your wedding and so he marries Mary Magdalene yeah I I do love the like uh extremely beautiful like scenic background there's a lot of good there's a lot of good background uh um shots in this movie yeah, like it suddenly becomes like woodland yes which is apparently this is still in Morocco but it's just more like in the north uh, part of it, unlike all the other areas, more vegetated. So she, they go back to their home, their little shack. Mm-hmm. She cleans his wounds, and uh, much to the dismay 
of French terrorists <laughs> and, and casual Easter and Christmas probably uh, my mother Protestants and also Nick's mother. Uh, Mary Magdalene Jesus makes sweet, passionate love. And it's very short and it's very tasteful. Well, it's his first time. He's not going to last that long. I mean, don't don't drag the man. <laughs> I'm not dragging. No, no, you're right. It's a brief scene, and it is very tasteful. It's not gratuitous at all. Like it's unambiguously sexual because it has to be because like we're tr- like we're trying to explore like humanity. We're trying to explore the human experience. Sexuality is part of this, but it's not. And I'm sure this is what some people were probably picturing. And this is probably what I was picturing when I first heard this movie existed. It's it's not like uh, this like grotesque exploitative moment. It's not like like Jesus versus zombies or like any of those other types of movies that you see. Or uh, what's that, what's that one po- not <laughs> like exploitation horror film you got? What's that one called? Zombie strippers. Zomb- no, no, not that no. one. The the one that you uh, the, oh that yeah. Amityville vibrator. Yeah, the one that's yes. made by like uh by like a friend of an acquaintance. Yeah. Um. Yep. Yeah, that's straight up porn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna make uh, porn with uh, with re- religious imagery, and that, I guess that's what some people. That's probably honestly, that's probably what all these uh, people uh, pictured in their mind, and just got all worked up over this image for some reason. It lasts. It lasts just just a minute or so. Yeah. And the next scene, she's pregnant. Uh, you can see the baby belly. She's sort of bathed in a a great light. Yes. And then she's she's dead. She dies. She dies. Immediately, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure about like the symbolism there. I that's... don't know either. I'm still trying to think about that. Um, because like he's distraught after this, but he moves on quickly. Uh, to to be with Lazarus's sister Mary from earlier in the film. Yes. Uh, and there's like a funny line where uh, the little guardian angel is yeah, just I... like, uh, "There's only one woman. They just have different faces. Every, every girl is exactly the same, as Juice World would say. Um, all girls are the same." All and, girls, <laughs> but yeah, no. So the I don't know this dream sequence. There's some stuff that I can't really uh, wrap my head around. But at the same time, uh, if you interpret it as a dream sequence, then in that fashion, it I don't necessarily need to overthink it. It doesn't need to be coherent, I guess. It, yeah, because and I think it is explicitly a dream sequence. I've I've heard people say, oh, uh, this is uh, at the end, t- God actually takes him back in time. And that like oh, all this actually happened. I, I looked at this as I thought I thought it was um like confirmed that the guardian angel was Satan and this is all It's in his mind. Yeah. But so it's not like a dream sequence then. It's like Satan's pro- it's like a vision. projection. It's like a it's of? like a vision, I think. So Satan would like dictate the terms of what happens? Maybe Sure, but then maybe how we're looking to But then how is it. he revealed uh by the end? I don't think Satan would uh want that, right? You know, it, I think that's like Jesus controlling his narrative. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like, yeah, maybe it's him. Like, I, uh, I, I don't. Maybe it's, maybe it's not meant to be overthought. Yeah, that's the thing. It is like a dream. Surface. Yeah, it is a dream. It def- that makes it def- definitely the most archaic sort of uh, scene in this movie. And uh, I mean, him like going from uh, like being you know the age he's in 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 scripture, and then jumping to being like really old. Like all that strikes me as like this. We're supposed to sort of take this as a kind of dream logic, you know, and maybe don't overthink it too much. But there's a lot to bite in on there for sure. We get the the, the what could have been for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He he returns to carpentry. He raises uh, a family with Mary. Um, it's implied that at some point he fucks Martha too. Uh, or like there's like there's a bit where like Mary's out of town and Martha's like, hey, it's hot out here. Come in the house. Come come hang out with me in the house. 
And then and then the the guardian angel looks at him and is like, all women are the same. Uh, and yeah, he follows her in. And I I think that was a uh, yep. And that's uh yeah that's uh, Jesus um fully committing to the earthly delights that exist uh, here on planet Earth. All right, and he he encounters Paul. He, he and his family go to the the village, or as uh, he sometimes called Saul. He's called both. He, he just know. swaps. It's kind of weird. Like randomly. Yeah. Yeah. It's still Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. Who I love. I, I mean, he's not in this very much, but it's just nice to see him, you know? Yeah. And they sort of have like this go back, like back and forth where like Paul is preaching that what should have happened, right? Jesus dies. Yes. He returns three days later. Uh, Jesus is, of course, like very upset by this. He's like, that's not what happened. I'm literally right here. Yeah. <laughs> but then Paul is like, listen, uh, the truth doesn't really matter. Uh, it's what sounds good. Another, it's yeah, another beneficial. interesting um, theological idea where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're actually crucified. Um, the idea that you were is very powerful to these people. And um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm selling here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're like selling the narrative and sort of the inspiration that comes from that. Like, does it matter if it actually happened? Right. It's sort exactly. of like taking like a non-literal approach to the Bible, I guess. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Harry Dean Stanton, as, as Paul throws some shade where he's like, you know what? I'm glad I met the real you because now I know that you're like a bitch uh, and <laughs> yeah. I can disregard you. <laughs> and uh, good, good day, sir. Uh, so yeah, we, we jump ahead uh, and Jesus is now old. We see sort of the ramifications of his not dying. Um, as the Romans are like the Romans, the Romans are sacking Jerusalem. Uh, next scene, he's on his deathbed. He's visited by uh, his disciples one last time, including Judas, who like lambasts him for like his cowardice in uh, abandoning his fate, and sort of is rightfully upset that he followed through on his part of the deal in like betraying Jesus and throwing his master to the wolves. And Jesus sort of did not follow through on his part of the plan. Uh, yes, yes, he is very angry, um, calls him uh, a traitor, I believe. Uh, outside, pretty, uh, Israel is pretty much burning. Like, the Roman centurions are sacking Israel, you know, and, and we're, supposed to, we're supposed to sort of interpret that the world has uh, essentially gone to shit because of uh, Jesus' lack, lack of commitment um, to his mission, to, uh, to the crucifixion. Right, and then it's here where the guardian angel is outed, I think, by Judas. Jude, yes. As as being Satan. Yeah. Uh, and Satan says, look, man, you, you keep this. This will have been your life. Yeah. Or, or not. Yeah. And so Jesus crawls through the burning city back to Golgotha before the cross. He, he finally accepts his role as Messiah. Yes. He wants to be the Messiah. He crawls, yeah, he crawls out. Um, the city is burning, everyone's screaming, and he shouts to the heavens that um, he he made a mistake. He, he wants to do his part. He wants to be the Messiah. Yeah, this is not him just, like, passively accepting it as, like, this is just something I have to do. Yeah. This is him, like, fully embracing it and deciding this is what has to be done, yes. and I want to do this. Yes. I'm going to yes. be forced into it. And that's it. He's back on the cross. He, he, what, what did he say? He says like, it. It is it is completed. Some, it is done. Something like that. Wait. Um. And that is our picture. Uh. Yeah. That is the last temptation of Christ. It's a yeah. It's a terrific movie. It's probably my favorite version of the story that I've seen thus far. Martin Scorsese. A lot of his flourishes are here. Um. He uses a lot of creativity to kind of make up for the lack of budget. I guess this was his second go at making this movie. He tried to make it after the King of Comedy, 
I think it was Paul Schrader wrote the script with De Niro in mind. Um, as Jesus? As Jesus. That's not as good. No, no, no. no. And uh, De Niro uh, rejected it probably because he quite rightfully did not see himself in the role. Other people, um, eventually the project was pushed back. He made After Hours um, after the King of Comedy instead. Was in this original draft, was Sting not supposed to play Judas? Yes. Well, no, no. Sting was supposed to play Punch's pilot. Who was supposed to? Oh, okay. So they just traded out English pop stars. Correct. <laughs> in this what? case. What a weird... Okay, so David Bowie. Yeah. In this is Pontius Pilate. Also in Twin Peaks. Fire Walk With, right? Yes. Sting would have been in this, and then also in Dune. So Scorsese <laughs> and, and David Lynch, very similar tastes. I would say in, so. In their, their uh, uh, avant-garde English pop stars. Did, didn't they date the same person? Bowie and Sting? No, no, D- Bowie and uh, Scorsese. Oh, Isab- Isabella Rossellini, right? Didn't they both date her? Lynch dated Rossellini. Let me ma- let me look this up because if so, then they might share tastes and other things as well. Woo-hoo. Got another Italian goddess, Isabella right. Rossellini, Monica Bellucci. Uh, we're not good at a lot, uh, us Italians. Maybe we did crucify Christ. Yes, they did date. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. In uh, 1979 to 1982, hmm. um, I believe this was during the peak of uh, his uh, his coke phase. So probably didn't end that well. That's pure speculation, though. So uh, no, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus fasted for thirty days. Uh, David Bowie spent at least a year eating nothing but peppers and milk. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, and, and and cocaine, of course. Yes. Oh no, I'm talking about Scorsese. Oh, Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese. Oh, okay. Not not Bowie. Not Bowie. And Although Bowie he also, also he face. yeah yeah no they both had coke faces to be clear. It was the '80s. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fine. Everyone had them. There's no judgment here. Um, but yeah, no, this thing, I mean, how much, how much did it make? It was kind of a domestic bomb. It made only $8 million, budget $7 million. Um, do you think it, uh, it was released by Universal Pictures? Do you think it deserved this fate? No. No, absolutely no, not. No, obviously right? not. It, yeah. Yeah, it's just all, uh, big, big sensitive, people being sensitive and taking the shit too seriously and not. Fre- freaking cancel culture gone, gone amok, man. Yeah. Wow. And and yeah, not embracing like the actual spirit of the film, right? right. They just these heard heard maybe from their pastor that this was a blasphemous movie, yeah. yada yada yeah. yada. They didn't actually give it a chance. They they read uh, that review that the nun wrote, calling I this remember a deeply that unholy one, yeah. movie. I would love that job as like official uh, movie reviewer of the Catholic Church. Oh man, I I read a few Catholic reviews of this uh, of this movie and. Uh, some at least try to meet the movie where it's at, uh, but others not so much. It's uh, quite varied. Yeah, I want a, like a private movie theater in the Vatican. Oh, that'd right? be great. Are you but instead me? of like popcorn, they just give you like little communion wafers. El- you know? Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> fill up a communion wa- uh, wafers and wine. Report directly to the Pope. Yeah, watch any uh, all like just endless movies about Jesus getting drunk. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Uh, podcast pivot. <laughs> We are now sponsored. Good news, guys. We're sponsored by the Roman Catholic Church now. Um, I hope you guys stick around and see what we got in store now, now that we have this big money behind us. <laughs> anyway, uh, it is accomplished, as uh, Jesus Christ says at the, at the end of this film. And it is accomplished. We, it is accomplished. Like, I was actually a, I was a little bit sort of worried about uh, covering this movie. It seemed like a daunting task before we did so, but I think it went really well. I think we I think we got some good discussion in. I think so, too. I think my, my main concern going into it was, like, the length. Like, this is pushing 
three hours, and it's I wasn't. A long movie. I wasn't like sure how you would could like stretch that because it's like a very boring way, I guess, to stretch that out. And but yeah. th- this like this keeps moving. The momentum is there. The plot points are there. There are enough like emotional highs. There are enough moments of not levity, but we're like sometimes we're, sometimes levity. I think the wedding scene is definitely yeah. levity. Yeah, no, it's a it's but very it, totally. it's still like yeah, totally consistent in a way. Uh, I like it all fits. Yeah, I like the very Schrader esque thing of uh, like Jesus having voiceover the monologue, like his yeah. eternal thoughts, classic Schrader monologue. Every movie I've seen penned by Schrader, yeah, th- there's that like same. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty, that's his touch. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe there's not one for uh, cat people. I haven't seen that one. Is there one in that? Meow, uh, meow, meow. Yeah, is there meow. one in that one? <laughs> <laughs> that is what a cat person would be saying, though. Um, is there, is there something, is there anything like that in the fucking doggy dog movie? I think so. Okay, because yeah. I, I have not seen that one. I think that's yeah, that's Nicolas Cage. There is one in the Patty Hearst movie, in case you were wondering. As well, well, there you go. He pulls it off. He I does. Maybe no. a lazy tool sometimes, but uh, Trader, he's such an interesting guy. Uh, I love following his Facebook. Uh, he emerges into a world that. What's that? What's that quote? I enter unwashed into a world that disrespects me and despises my values. That's so good, and yes. that's just a throwaway post on Facebook, man. That's not even like from one of his movies. I know, incredible. <laughs> he's yeah, he's such a. He's like he's he's he, like he's he's boomer pilled, but he's like my favorite uh, boomer pilled um, online presence. I think I definitely, uh, in addition to recommending this movie, uh, I recommend uh, following uh, Paul Schrader on Facebook if you still have one of those fucking. Now, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to recommend, um, Andrew? Let's see. Did we announce the name for this podcast? I, I don't think we have to. It's the Schlock Doctrine, guys, <laughs> <laughs> with Andrew and Nick. With Andrew and Nick, we should. That God, I really like an hour and a half. See, this would be a great time for uh, the Lord our God to beam us back to the beginning of the podcast, so we could do it correctly and announce the name of the fucking podcast. No, no, God wanted it done this way. Do we want to get personal for a second? That's right. We don't get personal on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, we both grew up in the church. Sure. Right. And there was a time in my life, maybe like a decade or so ago, right, where I would not have even like given this movie a chance. Because, like you said, uh, I was deep into like that YouTube skeptic thing, mm-hmm. which, in hindsight, if I might like psychoanalyze my youthful self, yes, having like grown up in the church, I needed to fully purge, right, what yeah. I viewed as like this conditioning, and the only way to do that was to swing the pendulum, like entirely, uh, yeah. in the other direction, and watch nothing but like amazing atheist videos <clears throat> and carry around uh, the fucking God delusion with me uh, to, to high school. But then, like, I don't know, at a certain point, you reach like an equilibrium. That's true. Where you no longer need to spite your past by uh, like overcompensating yeah. in the present. Yeah. Um, and now I think I'm at a, a very healthy point where I think that a certain amount of spirituality is important. I think it's good. I think in some ways it's as important as um, as as things like you know what materially you do in your life. Uh, Yeah, it can be essential. Yeah, it can be like the sort of uh, a sort of underlying uh, engine to uh, to the things that you do in this life that have material consequences. Yeah. Now I do think there is, of course, like a a very big difference between like personal spirituality 
and like wholesale embracing like dogmatism like yeah 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 just throwing yourself entirely into into your faith or like yeah. not dictate yeah the entirety of your life and I think there's a balance that's that. that's how you get yeah religious extremists sure. and, and and such um which is bad but i also think that being uh just like uh an empty logic driven materialist also has its flaws oh absolutely um, absolutely i'm not gonna say it oh, i don't know how to phrase this I mean, I've always seen the idea of uh, viewing the world entirely in, like, logical terms as sort of ignoring, sort of ignoring, it, like, an, an essential part of, uh, of humanity. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, sort of innate, uh, it's kind of innate uh, value and, w- and uh, why it should be preserved. Um because if you're th- if you're if you're looking at people as simply uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of numbers or like uh, smart smart apes, yeah, or, or as or as just apes, yeah, uh, or anything like that, then you can very easily fall into thought patterns where you are dehumanizing someone for some for some reason that you maybe mathematically uh, uh, decided on at some point, and yeah. then that that can lead to its own. Um, set of fucking atrocities i think that the world is uh it's not the best place no but it it is a miracle yeah. uh and maybe it's a miracle of science you know i'm not i'm not saying you know someone snapped their fingers and, and we existed yeah but it is sheer dumb luck that could be you know considered a miracle that we're here and sure. everything has worked out how it has so uh, far yeah <laughs> yeah like i mean just like the odds of it's true human consciousness true and uh all the mechanics and workings of the world is it's amazing i think and um not something i yeah you shouldn't just like reduce to again just like numbers like you said so there you go yeah Yeah, that was a very so if if you're in your your edgy atheist phase um (laughs) i don't know touch grass look at a tree there's there's alternative like ways to look at the world i think and and like I, I still like plenty of edgy atheistic media. Um, oh no, me too. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like seventy percent of America still identifies as Christians. Yes, you know what I mean. So you're still like so, it's still like there is still a power structure that uh, that should be uh, like ridiculed and fought back against uh, yeah. in some some fashion. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm not. I'm like you. I was uh, once a viewer of these YouTube videos. Um, thankfully, I don't think I was. Probably because I wasn't quite as like embittered by my religious upbringing. It was sort of, which strangely enough, because it was Catholic, uh, it was sort of just kind of low key. Um, um, like my mom took it seriously, but you know, it was just like youth group with a bunch of other kids, and we didn't really talk about faith very much. We just kind of hung out, yeah. drank lemonade, ate nice. cookies. I did fall into that. I think it is a necessary sort of step in your philosophical and epistemological worldview um, to go into the. Uh, the direct opposites of uh, like the the sort of atheistic and religious phases, especially when you're young, um, going to those extremes. It's a dialectic but, again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 The the dogmatic religion meets the wholesale rejection of sure. that, and then what you're left with is a more personal uh, form of spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, I think that's where we should leave it because we got we got some good discussion in. We did. Uh, would you like to tell the audience, the the wonderful folks at home, where they can find us? Yeah, you can find us, uh, Schlock Doctrine, on Instagram, uh, Schlock Doctrine on Facebook. Okay, absolutely. Um, and don't forget to like and subscribe, as always. 
And, uh, yeah, no, we will see you guys next week. We are, by the way, recording on the eve of Easter, just so everyone feels. Oh, it's 103 in the morning. So happy, happy ha- Easter. Happy Easter, one and all. And, uh, yeah, we got to get out of here. So to, to all a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>